There's a lot to say about the deliciousness of steaks, burgers, and kebabs, and the wonders of a summer cookout. But we figure, why go through all the trouble when beef can speak for itself? Just listen. Translation, beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. And welcome to another week of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. The Bulldogs coming off a heartbreaking loss this past weekend at Arkansas 31-28. to We got together and talked about it on Sunday Coffee this past week and kind of worked it all out emotionally. And Charlie, after kind of looking at it, going back to it, I'm not as upset with you know, officiating as I was after the football game because I was very emotional. But, man, I tell you what, it was just one of those games where they could have gone either way. You just feel like you kind of slipped out of your fingers. Well, for our loyal listeners who are upset with officiating, I want you to know that I'm still in your camp. Are you I'm, really? Yeah, I'm not walking away from you. I'm not happy with it. The only thing I would say is, and the only thing I blame myself for, is expecting better. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Because measured against expectation, they are who we thought they were. Well, the SEC slogan, it means more. The slogan for the officials is, you know, don't expect better. Yeah, that's right. Don't, well, don't get your hopes up. Yeah, well, that certainly would have been a good policy for me going into that ball game on Saturday. So, what do we have this week? We're back on the road, and I can expect little to nothing in the way of improvement. No doubt whatsoever. And because we are closer to Birmingham. And I operate under the theory that the closer you are to Birmingham, the worse the result's going to be. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to to go back to the command center for a replay this week. No, no. Yeah, that guy may be going to church with some Auburn guys. And, hey, we are in the Farm Bureau studios. And I'm not joking, Charlie. I'm not joking with that statement. Now, you, th- you think that's kind of funny. You're laughing right now. But I'm telling you, those guys go to church. Together. It's kind of like the guys at Farm Bureau that we go to church with and we're hanging out in our community with. That's what the SEC office is doing with the guys at Alabama and Auburn. Can I say that? No, I think you've said it now, so yeah. let's own it. Okay, let's own it. And But the guys that we hang out with in our daily lives that go to church with you, that drop off their kids in the carpool line with you, are the Farm Bureau agents, the great Farm Bureau agents throughout the state of Mississippi. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Go to favorites.com for the best rates, but know once you sign up, you've got the best service of any insurance provider and that's with our great friends at Farm Bureau. And we are in, as we said, the Farm Bureau studios here in Startville. Okay, so this week on the show, we're going to talk to Ben Jenkins, who is the founder of Warstick. He started that company several years ago. And then he went in and got the, a couple of guys to, to join him in his venture. Ian Kinsler, a former Texas Ranger baseball player. And then Jack White. You know, Jack White in the music world you know, dun, 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 you know, you know, the white stripes. I mean, and so they joined those guys. I was just wondering if you were going to go to the audio there or just sound it out. And so I was just going to sound it out. Okay. I didn't have time to really dip in and find the audio, which I could have found. But we talked to Ben last year, and he shared a great story about Jack White actually coming to Mississippi State baseball practice. And that was one of the icebreakers with their initial conversation about getting Jack White involved in Warstick. They had their grand opening with their Warstick 
headquarters out in Dallas, Texas. And so we'll talk to Ben. And we'll also talk to Stan White, uh, the Auburn Radio Network. Of course, Stan White was the quarterback at Auburn and now color analyst for the Auburn Radio Network. So, Charlie, before we kind of get into the interviews and talk with, with these guys, hey, we had women's basketball last night. State starting their season with a win last night over Alabama State. Guard-heavy team. And we've got men's basketball later tonight. So this is a full sports time for us. We've got five basketball games to broadcast this week. But, man, it felt great to be back in the hump last night. You had the band there. You had a good crowd there. It just kind of felt good to be back in the hump. See, I like the way you phrased that positively. See, I would have said we were a team who completely lacked an inside presence. But you being half full, Bart, brought to it the guard heavy. We are a guard heavy team. Okay. May have some trouble down the line with some teams that have some size, but they didn't do anything wild and crazy last night. They played okay from the outside. I, I really like Anastasia Hayes. Oh, yeah. Going to the bucket, she'll get to the free throw line. In the women's game, if you can get to the free throw line and score off the free throw line, you could be pretty successful and so we get men's game tonight got men's game tonight i tell you what you talk about a different roster and i was looking at it earlier today getting ready for the game tonight man we got a chance have some injuries right now here early on this is not the finished you know portrait right now that you're going to see i mean this team is going to get better as it goes on but if they can man if they can come together this team has a chance to be really special yeah i'm excited about it no doubt hey Looking forward to the show today. When we come back, we'll talk to Ben Jenkins, the founder of the, well, it used to be a back company only, but now they've morphed into more of a sporting goods empire, Warstick. Ben Jenkins of Warstick coming up next on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Mark Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. And, Charlie, i tell you what. We got a guy who's a friend of ours, former Bulldog, played baseball here at Mississippi State, and has built one of the biggest brands in sporting goods today, and that's Ben Jenkins with War Stick. And i tell you what, Charlie, I keep on seeing it more and seeing it more. And we talked to Ben last year on the show. But they just had a big weekend over in Dallas where they opened up their new headquarters building over there, had a lot of former Major League Baseball guys in. They had Kurt Gibson, who hit the home run, the walk-off home run in the World Series, of course, in 1988 for the Dodgers. But just so many different guys and so many different Major Leaguers are using their bats today. But just a hip-growing company. And i tell you what, I hate that we missed it this past weekend. And there's really three Bulldogs tied up with Warstick you got Ben Jenkins, who is one of the founders, but then you've got Jake Mangum and Brent Rooker, who are a couple of the guys using their bats. And I think I told you this. I went by their old building a couple of years ago, and two of the guys featured right out front were Mangum and Rooker. I mean, those are kind of two guys along with Miguel Cabrera, Ian Kinsler, some other big names who are right there at the forefront of this brand. No doubt. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus, Tracks Plus, the your equipment leader in Mississippi. They've got four locations, 
So go see Daniel Bounds in Columbus, Fred Fulton also over in Columbus, Ken Crosby in Hickory on I-20 at the Hickory exit, and then, of course, Grace Howell down in Summit, Mississippi, and Hoop Weems in Alexandria, Louisiana. Got that Barco equipment for the forestry industry, and then you've got the Saney equipment for the construction, the dirt construction world. And so this conversation with former Bulldog and War Stick founder Ben Jenkins brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. So let's go to the phone and talk to our good friend, Ben Jenkins, former Bulldog baseball player. We talked to him last year, the founder of Warstick. And Ben, I'll tell you what, uh, are you have you gotten any sleep last week, you guys opening up the world headquarters of Warstick? How was last weekend for you guys? We, there was no sleep until it happened. And then uh, it went so, so much better than we could ever imagine. Everybody's just super ecstatic and happy. And I think we finally all... You know, last couple of nights caught up in sleep, so I'm feeling pretty good, really. I'm feeling like a whole new, whole new man. All right, Ben, we talked to you last year, and you know, I made the mistake of saying Warstick being a bat company, but I know you guys do a ton of other stuff. Just kind of remind everybody what what all you've got going on at Warstick right now. Well, it's not wrong to say we're a bat company at all because you know our roots are as a baseball bat company, and that, and then as a baseball brand, making all kinds of baseball stuff, and then we'll never abandon that. I want to make that real clear, but. We're really getting heavy into, you know, fast pitch softball and slow pitch softball to start. And we're really getting our feet wet in the cross. And so, and, and, and hockey's right around the corner. And then, you know, what we call our off season products. So, you know, your hunting arrows and fly fishing rods and bass rods and even things you ski and snowboard on. So, all that's in play, but everybody loves baseball around here and, and really excited about fast pitch. And those are, those are definitely on the forefront of everything that we're doing right now. Ben, Charlie and I are kicking ourselves for not having the opportunity of coming over there this past weekend. And just looking yeah. and seeing you guys had a had a Sandlot baseball game that you played this past weekend. All right, if you were us, what would you miss the most of what you guys did this weekend? Well, yeah, from a Mississippi State perspective, um, what you missed for sure was probably just the happiness of me being around Honestly, guys, I admire so much just like you guys, like Jake Mangum and Brent Wilker. But the funner part was seeing them see each other and be around each other and doing something like this. It was just really fun. I mean, I'm in the Sandlot game. Of course, I'm so much older than those guys. I never got to play with them. And they haven't played together in, what, three years, something like that. And so I'm sitting there playing shortstop and looking over my shoulder, constantly seeing Brent and left and, and Jake and left is pretty cool. And, you know, Wilker made... I mean, it's a very casual game, but, you know, Rooker made a great diving play in left field and Jake's jumping all over him and all kinds of things like that. And then and the batting order was Mangum first, Jenkins second, Jack White third, because he always hits third, and then Rooker cleaning up. And just Jake was standing over by the lineup, and I walked over there, and I was like, I pointed, I was like, that's pretty cool. And he's like, it is cool. <laughs> and so probably the most fun part for me was Jake got on uh, sometime in the middle of the game. He was on second base. I got a base hit and drove him in, and I was like, well, that was cool. And then to end the game, I'd gotten on base, and what not ran around the third, and Brent got an RBI to drive me in for the winning run. So that's what you missed. <laughs> it was just pretty, it was pretty cool, man. I can't believe you, know, you the got The whole water shower and everything. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then, just, of course, in Sandlot, the kind of the rule is win the post game. And so we had our own private Jack White uh, concert in our speakeasy basement and just Hanging out with, I mean, Jake was having the time of his life. 
I mean, I can't even, I can't even tell you. Oh, and another thing, sorry, I got, I got all kinds of liquor mayhem stories. The last one is probably the, one of the coolest things. I mean, besides the fun was, and I'm talking late night into the morning. I'm talking, you know, one thirty in the morning. I sat for an hour and listened to Chris Woodward, the current Texas Rangers manager, answer Jake's questions and mentor Rooker and both of them for about an hour and a half. Just those three guys. And man, it was just super cool because you can just see, you know, where Jake's at, where, where Rooker's at. They're both, they're both just trying to get over the, you know, there's a little different faces, but just the curiosity of Jake to learn. And the wisdom that Rooker's already acquired from what he's been doing, but still trying to figure it out. And then just Woody saying, hey, look, guys, this is what you got to think. You know, it was awesome. I wish I could have recorded that conversation for everybody. Oh, I, I can I could imagine. I can't believe that he may have been on the other team just by the text that, that you were sending about all the guys there, that you guys didn't script it yep. for, for Kirk Gibson to hit the walk-off home run to right field. So, <laughs> how we, we, well, yeah, I mean, we, we scripted a cool moment for him, though. We, we saw an opportunity. He had told us, you know, we invited him. He's friends with Jack and his big Tigers, all our guys, big Tigers fans. And, 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 and we said, hey, what do you want to do? Which is anything you want. You're Kirk Gibson. You want to coach. You want to not dress out, dress out. He said, I want to dress out. I'm definitely going to coach. He said, you know what? I, I, don't, I, will, I want to pinch hit. That was his idea. <laughs> and so about the fifth inning, we did get the bases loaded. I looked at him and I said, now? And he said, yep. And we stopped the game down and announced him. And he, the coolest part was he went into the batter's box and he did his famous, if you ever watched the video of his famous home run. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, did, he repeated he repeated the whole thing. He repeated the whole thing. And the first pitch, he rips a one-hop line driver to the first baseman that he couldn't handle and scores a run. It was insane. I mean, people were going nuts. Oh, that and, and the guy's battling Parkinson's. Let's not forget this guy's battling Parkinson's. Real deal. And it was it was pretty awesome, man. Oh, that's so, incredible! Now you had a bunch of yeah, uh, former Rangers we, there too, right? Yeah, really cool for us uh, local. You know, we're in Dallas, Texas, so you know Rangers is the team around here, or it better be. And then, um, you know, our heyday, 2010-11, when we went to the World Series two times. I won't mention that we didn't ever win it, but we didn't. But um, you had Elvis Andrews, uh, Mike Young, David Murphy, Andy and Kinsler all out here in our batting cage porch signing autographs at the same time. And those guys haven't been together since then. So that was just super cool to see. And then, the, you know, because most of the people that were here at the event were local. That was really cool. Talking to Ben Jenkins with Warstick. Ben, just kind of going back to last year, and we talked about this, I mean, the difference in what you guys do than what a, a lot of other bat companies do it's all about, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the bats that you guys do are just cool. I mean, it's just, it's, it's artistic. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's a good product because you don't want to put, you know, a bat in the hand of Miguel Cabrera that doesn't hit home runs. Yeah. I mean, you want to have good quality, but you also have a cool product. Yeah. I mean, how are you guys able to capture that vibe that you put in every single product that you do? Well, I think you said it right. You know, I think it's what I go for in each product is the, is the exact balance of both those things, which is I can make a really product. I think it's it's easy, at least from where we we stand, because design and creativity is kind of our natural thing. Making it look cool and, and the vibe is a little easier and then the performance. And that's where we do the really hard, grinded out work. And so, you know, I basically always put the bar down that, like, if I can design something that Jack White, who's one of the most crazy, creative, picky people in the world, likes, thinks is cool, but then I can make it good enough for Ian Kinsler or, you know, like I said, Miguel prepared to use in the game 
I mean, that's that's every time. That's every project we do. That's the bar. Like like uh, Ian didn't really think we could make fielding gloves good enough for his two-time gold-winning caliber of a player. And you know, I worked through it. I, I knew I knew how to make it look cool, but actually, I worked through it. And I took him the glove and I said, "Hey, this is what I got." And he's like, "Wow." I said, well, you gonna call it Ian Kinsler's signature glove? And he's like, yeah, and I'm using it in the Olympics. And that's kind of just the whole thing centered around those two things, kind of trying to work. And then the third layer of that is that knowing that, you know, we are, we're building sporting goods products, but, you know, it's essentially mostly sold for the most part to, to youth and younger people. And we just feel like there's a message here that, that we can, you know, it's not the weapon, it's the warrior's real to us. And it's like just genuine to say, hey, look, these products, aren't going to make you a better hitter, but they're going to hold up if you really believe in what you're doing. And we just encourage people. I mean, Rooker and Mangum are just like such great examples of that. I mean, you could you could give Rooker the best bat in the world. It's not the bat that's doing it. It's, it's, it's all the work that he puts into it, you know, and we just want kids to understand that. And especially parents. I would say kids probably understand it more than parents. We still deal a lot with parents who are just very hyper-focused on as, as if there's some kind of way to cheat the system and you hand a magic bat to a kid and make them a great hitter is just not the case. And so we're just real real with that. And so all of our content, especially with this new uh, facility, we, we have a thing called that we're starting now called Warstick University and the building here where the cage is called Battle Hall. And it's just what it sounds like. It's like we're going to teach these kids how to be warriors in the sports that they play. You know, And that's, that's hard work and that's really the biggest thing that's going to come out of this building in the future is having people come in here and teach Last week, we talked to John Stevens, who is in Stuttgart, Arkansas, uh-huh. a good friend of ours, and he owns RNT Calls. He makes duck calls. And Bart got to talk uh-huh. to John about the kind of woods he likes to use. I know in baseball bats, yep. you've seen maple, you've seen ash. What, what do you guys like to use, and kind of where do you source your wood? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty good. That's an easy question. So three things. you got maple, uh, you got ash, and you got birch. Maple's by far still right now, starting with kind of the Barry Bonds era, has been the most popular thing in Major League Baseball. So it's maybe, let's say, 80% of the guys from Maple because the belief is that hard is better. And that's just the predominant thinking in Major League Baseball, and so that kind of trips us down. And then you've got Ash is more the old school thing that is more the traditional thing. And it's a softer wood, but it's a more flexible wood. And a lot of guys that will swing Ash, it's a more flexible feel. In the swing friends, I love swinging ash because I like that flex. I don't really like swinging maple. I think it feels rigid. But each player is different. And now birch is really becoming the new popular up and coming thing because it's kind of got the hard property of maple, but it's got some of the flex of ash. So a lot of guys are starting to discover that it's a really good option, um, especially because ash is getting more scarce to find and. And, and actually, birch is a little cheaper material than maple. So, and then all of us bat companies, really, there's some magic. Uh, we would all like to tell you there's some magic uh, forest that we each get our wood from, but the reality is there's about five magic forests up in the, mostly in the Northeast, United States, and Canada. Uh, and, you know, there's the wood mills and these guys that go out and harvest this wood and uh, break it down and turn it into billets. And then from there, it's, you know, we all, you know, if you want to get the, the best stuff, you pay for the best stuff. And that's, that's mostly the game. That's just a process of, of how, you know, what we have to do there is make sure we maintain good relationships with our woodmill so that they keep us supplied. Talking to our good friend Ben Jenkins, former Mississippi State baseball player, founder of Warstick <laughs> over in uh, Dallas, Texas. 
Ben, when I look at, I was out in the, you know sporting goods stores in Texas, and man, mm-hmm. your your stuff, y'all stuff is just getting more and more prevalent around the country. And that's one of the things we talked to John Stevens about last week about, you know, building the brand and building mm-hmm. the product line and then the distribution and then getting it out. Compared to yep. two years ago, it just seems to me like Warstick has – I was at a ba- junior high girls basketball game last night in Louisville, Mississippi, and this kid comes walking yep. through and he's wearing a Warstick sweatshirt with, you know, with battle on the front. And it's just becoming more yep. and more prevalent – how fun has that been to take something from the very start and the very roots of what you guys were trying to do and just see how this thing has exploded across the country? Well, it's fun now to be on the other side of it, but, you know, knowing how hard it would be, you know, people don't realize that just in earnest, this, this company for me personally and my family is almost 10 years old, you know, going back to it, getting a little hobby business and things like that. So there's nothing fun about it. It's very gratifying, though, is the word I would say, is that to see all the hard work pay off into a plan coming together, which was, when you talk about the retailers, was I was always insistent that the really way to build a brand isn't through retailers at all. It's to work directly with the customers and fans. So we were a direct-to-consumer business, literally, all the way up until spring of 2020. And I always said, I told my guys, I go, we're never going to call a retailer. We're never going to approach him because... Our job is to build stuff that the customers eventually want so much that they go into the retailers and ask them, hey, do you have this? And that took a while, you know, and a lot of hard work and a lot of treating customers right and just, you know, marketing grind, marketing to grind. And then all of a sudden, 2020, which was, hey, it's COVID, it's crazy. All of a sudden for us, then, uh, you know, one of the three big retailers called. Two weeks later, I don't know if they, I don't know if they, this all happened at once, but then at this point in one year, we're in every major retailer that you can find. And I think that's also why it was just time, the, the kind of the pendulum had swung and it was time and the awareness was there. And of course, now that, that is just creating more and more awareness at the same time. But I'm really proud that we actually accomplished that mission and really love working all those retailers and nothing against them. It just felt like, well, we have work to do to make it good enough for you to carry was the idea. And so it was just a motivating kind of internal thing for us. Ben, um, you've got a couple of boys that are uh, Lake Highlands Wildcats football players like you were before. One of the things that Bart and Mm -hmm. I talk about all the time is you see younger and younger kids feeling like if they want to get a baseball scholarship, they've got to commit to baseball only at a really young age. Mm -hmm. I was gratified to see that. You you aren't running that kind of ship in your house. Is that mm-hmm. kind of your philosophy that football is still a good thing for young guys, or is it just the love that they had? What's your thought process on the on this kind of the specialization of kids at young ages? That's a hot topic, man. Especially me because I I'm not I'm one to shoot my mouth off pretty good, and I have little threats going on, so it's hard for me not to say exactly what's on my mind. But I'll keep it. I'll, I'll say first of all, everyone's entitled to their own opinion and different ways, and and. It's always the personal choice of the family. But part of this comes from me working with, uh, you know, we've gotten to work with a lot of major league coaches and scouts and players over the last five years because of what we're doing. And I've never heard, to be honest, I haven't heard a single one of those guys tell me that the specialization is a good thing. Scouts specifically tell me they have a problem with kids that specialize in, in baseball coming, get, you know, they get into the college age and they're not nearly as good an athletes as developed athletes as they can be, nor do they learn to compete at the level they need to compete at. They're just skilled, what they call skilled up, right? They're, 
they they look great in a batting cage and they can do all the things to look good in a showcase. But that's what you want to develop. And I think other I think and Brooker Rooker was talking to my son as much as me. He's a football player and just was reliving his own football days and still to this day said, man, I just miss football. I love football so much. I love the, the war of it. And I love being out there with the guys and just the, com- the competitive fire that you do. And I'm the same way. I, I love, I mean, I'm from Texas. So I'm a little biased, but man, football here is really fun. And so and as an example, I, you know, my kids are in my kids. My oldest son is the starting uh, varsity catcher. Um, and he played football till he, he was in 10th grade. And he just said, Hey, my body type and what I'm doing, I'm I'm good for baseball now. But he really brought that fire um, for football into it. Whereas my middle son, who's 15, really good catcher. I mean, really good. But boy, does he love hitting people. He's a middle linebacker and he, he made varsity. And I can see the joy level. It's a 10. It's not a 10. It's an 11. Just the joy of him playing football. I'd say his joy of being baseball is a 6. And he can do it. But why am I going to? I mean, that's what you want from your kids. You want them to find what they love and dig into it. And he's yeah. just, he's doing the work because he loves it, right? That's what you want. And so I've already said, hey, man, he's like, Dad, I, I'm 15. I'm going to be 16. They want me to, they want me to be the starting middle linebacker next year. I got to gain weight. I got to work out. And I, I can't let baseball get in the way. Well, why am I going to complain about that? I mean, I'm so happy for that kid. I can't even tell you. So if he keeps playing baseball, I don't know yet, but. Uh, sport, multi-sports up to a certain age is incredible. And my little seventh grader is doing all of it, basketball, baseball, football. He doesn't know which one he loves the most yet. And it's up to him to just figure it out over time and let it work out. But yeah, you don't want to get me too far on the select baseball scene these days. I think that may be one of my next, me and Ian Kinsler and all of us guys uh, got opinions on the culture of it and would love to see it be more of a, I wouldn't say fun. I don't like the word fun because you definitely, but it, I want to bring the joy of competing against rivals back into it. Cause that's really what's missing, but that would be a whole different podcast guys. <laughs> but I'd do it and I'll bring Ian Kinsler on it. If you begin on Ian Kinsler on it, we'll go three hours. Well, I was, I was going to ask you, um, if we were to have a podcast guest uh, from Warstick other than you, I've always kind of hypothesized that Jack White may be as interesting a baseball talker as yeah. Ian Kinsler. Am I, yeah. am I wrong on that? No, you're totally right. It's just you would get two totally different podcasts and two totally <laughs> different conversations because Jax is more. I mean, we we joke all the time. The, we were on a little interview Saturday, and from a historical standpoint, I mean, don't get me wrong, Ian has a huge appreciation for the greats of the game, like his, you know, Alan Trammell's of the world and stuff like that. But Jack's history and knowledge of all the obscure little historical cool things, he's like in a walking encyclopedia of obscure facts about baseball, which is really cool. And so you would get this extensive knowledge from him on all those kind of things. And then from Ian, you know, you would get a totally different conversation, you know. But either way, you, you can't go wrong. It's going to be different. They both love the game. Probably more, more than I do, honestly. Most of those, those guys. <laughs> you know, I'd rather talk about football and fly fishing. I just play baseball because I, I, I just ended up, that's the one I took the furthest, you know. And I did the best I could with it, but. I love to see humans get out there and physically compete. That's that's kind of me. I showed Ricker, he'll tell you, I showed Ricker three times, and he loved it. He wasn't put out. A video of my seventh grader showing a touchdown pass the other day and in a big situation. He's only 12, and just knowing the work he put into that moment. And I told him it wasn't the throw and the catch that was awesome. It was, I go, watch this, though. It was the warrior celebration for three minutes afterwards. I mean, the kid was just, I mean, as a dad, you know, for someone who has a daughter, 
uh, a son that plays any kind of sport, no matter what it was, just to see the joy and com- uh, complete. I could watch it over and over and over. And uh, that's what I like about sports, that one thing. You know, just that, that overcoming challenge to get to that moment to, for yourself and your family. That's who it's for. And that's it. Ben, hey, appreciate you joining us. Yeah. I know you're always busy. And let me tell you something from one Mississippi State guy to another. We're proud of you, man, of what you guys have done and oh, the brand you. that you have built. And it's a worldwide brand now, Warstick. Just can't beat it, man. It's cool. It's just – it's great quality, but it's cool. It's cool. I know we're far away from Mississippi relatively, so I just encourage – I'm, I'm so excited someday for any of my buddies who just cross, cross through here to please stop. It's definitely worth the time. And Not that I want to sell you anything, but I just want you to see it. You know, So if anybody's out there, a state person, just make extra effort to let people know you're a state person and you'll get well, always good, good treatment, but dogs get extra stuff for treatment around here, of course, so just let us know. No doubt. Hey, Ben, appreciate you joining you us. Guys. Appreciate you joining All right, us. Guys. Talk to you soon. Ben Jenkins, live from Dallas. Charlie, it's always great to talk to Ben. I mean, that guy, he's got so many different irons in the fire. You talk about the bats. That's their bread and butter. But, man, where they're getting into fly rods with fishing. You heard him talk a minute ago about fishing. You talk about you know arrows for, the, for bows and hunting and things of that nature, lacrosse and hockey. There's just so many cool things that they're doing out there. Jack White, Ian Kinsler, and, of course, our good friend Ben Jenkins. It's just a cool Mississippi State story that, that we should all be proud of, that one of our former Bulldogs is a, a leader in that industry. Yeah, it's awesome, and what a great guy. And I, I really look forward to getting out there. I'm going to take him up on the chance to – Maybe go sit down with Ian Kinsler and talk some baseball. We need to do that. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk to Stan White, former quarterback at Auburn. He serves as a color analyst for the Auburn Radio Network. We'll have that conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. That was a great conversation with Ben Jenkins of Warstick. And now we'll talk to the color analyst for the Auburn Tigers, Stan White. Played over at Auburn back in the early 1990s. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made it Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 down in Florence. They've gotten big. That's unbelievable how they have pushed their product out across the southeast, the Midwest, over into Texas, over to Georgia. It's a growing brand, and it's made right here in Mississippi something you can be proud of, and it's simply outstanding. The original, the jalapeno cheddar, the pineapple pork, and just so many different kinds. It's all fantastic. And, of course, that great butcher shop down at Country Meat Packers in Florence. And so – We'll talk to now the color analyst for the Auburn Tigers. Here's Stan White in this conversation, as we said, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. So let's go to the phone and talk to the color analyst for the Auburn Radio Network. Stan White joins us, former Tiger quarterback. Stan, I'm not going to lie with you, man. When uh, when we all get together and play these 11 o'clock ball games, I know it is absolutely terrible for the home team. But for visiting radio guys – I absolutely love it. I know it's going to be tough 11 o'clock in the morning over on the plains. It's just hard to kind of get the students and everybody involved in an 11 o'clock ball game. Well, it can be, absolutely, and you're correct. I love road games that are early morning because you kind of get home at a decent hour, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a big advantage, I think, for at least the radio crews and 
and everything. But, uh, you know, the one thing I've noticed this year about Auburn, and I don't know if it's because of a new coaching staff, I, I have to think that's it, or also maybe because, you know, the stadiums were empty last year. But our students at Auburn have been – it's been filled at least an hour before game time every single home game, and that includes an early game as well. So, uh, yes, 11 o'clock games, uh, people are, are having their coffee instead of maybe their adult beverages. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, I think it'll be a it's supposed to be a nice uh, fall morning uh, or, or mid afternoon type of game or early uh, early or late morning so to speak and and so I'm I'm looking forward to it. it should be a good game Mississippi State has really uh, come on lately and and Rogers is playing about as good as anybody right now so it's going to be a tough challenge with Mike Leach's offense from from what Auburn has faced the last couple of weeks. No doubt. Hey, Stan, for just the people out there who have not watched Auburn a whole lot, and I'm talking about from a 10,000-foot vantage point, you know, we're used to seeing that Gus Malzahn, that mesh point, read and react type of offense. What are the differences, what are the major differences that you will see in this Auburn offense from Gus Malzahn to now Carson Mike Bobo? Well, I think what you're going to see is a lot more downhill running with the with the running game. Now they struggled last week uh, against A and M, like like most teams do. But uh, but before that, they had had some good success. Uh, you know, Tank Bigby had 140 against Ole Miss, and they ran for close to 200. They're still averaging up there pretty good in the SEC uh, on the whole season. So you're going to see some more downhill running. You'll see more under center uh, with the quarterback. Um, now you will like like most. Uh, college offenses, you're going to see some of that jet stuff and some of the uh, the shotgun read option type of stuff uh, because Bo Nix is a very athletic quarterback. Uh, when they've had success, he's been involved in the running game. You know, usually in the 30 to 40 to 50 you know yard range at the end of the game. So, um, but the biggest thing I think you're going to see is more of a downhill play action pass, downhill running under center, and utilization of the tight ends. Uh, they they've really done a great job this year of utilizing all their tight ends. At times you'll see you'll see a three tight end set. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to see a lot of Schenker, uh, Luke Deal, Fromm, those guys. That, that tight end room is really deep. So you'll see a lot of the, the, the game planning involved with them. You mentioned Mississippi State's quarterback, Will Rogers, a minute ago. And, you know, if there's one thing that's always uh, fairly consistent uh, across the land, there's almost – Everybody thinks they've got a pretty good quarterback behind they won, the one that's starting. I know that you guys have dealt with that too. But as you, from a, as an outsider, look at Will Rogers, what do you see in a progression of him as a quarterback and where he's playing now? Well, I think he knows the offense so much better than he did just maybe at the start of the season. Uh, you know, the one thing that, that Mike Leach is kind of odd, usually when you're a pass-heavy type of team, your, your big plays, your time of possession is less. You're, you're usually you're getting your vertical shots down the field. But but what's odd about that offense is 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 his a, he's a time of possession passing game offense. So they will just try to milk it down and have those uh, you know eight, ten, twelve play drives, just like kind of a three yard and a cloud of dust type of offense. But it's through the air, uh, which is which is unique, and that's what makes you know Mike Leach so difficult to study for. Is is they, they'll take their shots. There's no question about it. But they'll also just take what the defense gives you, and that's kind of what the philosophy is with really any passing game offense. Take what the defense gives you. Take advantage of weaknesses uh, or or areas where you can exploit. Uh, and so he likes to take advantages of zones that you can exploit in a defense. Now lately, he has actually ran the ball more 
percentage-wise than than he usually does in 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 his type of offensive philosophy. But nonetheless, they've been very effective, and I think Rogers is just um, he's he's learned what what his coaches want. Uh, he doesn't uh, he takes what they give him, uh, and he doesn't take a lot of you know unnecessary risk, and he's and he's been very effective with it. We're talking to Stan White, a former Auburn quarterback. He's a color analyst with the radio network. Stan, one of the things that we saw here 15, 20 years ago in the latter part of Jackie Sherrill's tenure is we had a lot of head coaches that turned into assistant coaches. And then all of a sudden you wonder about the egos in the room. But it seems like with a Derek Mason coming in and running the defense and you start talking about an offensive coordinator in Mike Bobo who's been a head coach, it seems like everything is kind of meshed well, especially on that defense side because when you start looking at Auburn defensively, this has been a team that, you know, they had to help hold Ole Miss deep in their own territory. You look last week and you see that 20-3 to final score, but man, I watched three quarters of that game. The Auburn defense was phenomenal in that game. It seems like all this talk about offense, but it's the Auburn defense has really played well. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good point because I think a lot has been made this past week because of the A&M loss is Auburn's offense has, has yet to score a touchdown in six quarters, but people forget their defense is not allowed an offensive touchdown in six quarters. Yep. And you're talking about playing against an Ole Miss offense that was averaging 42 points a game, and they held Ole Miss in the second half to three points, and they held A&M to 12 points the other day defensively. Of course, they gave up a defensive touchdown. That's where the 20 came from. So, yeah, it, what you can, you can say what you want about maybe the offensive struggles the last six quarters, but I'll tell you what, Derek Mason's defense has got something going on the last six quarters because usually when you don't give up a defensive touchdown, you're going to win nine times out of ten. Unfortunately, Auburn lost the turnover battle, and it caused them to lose the game. But, uh, but like you said, uh, and, and that's just you – know, some of that I, I would not say is a victim of having – a. it's probably just a bad offensive day because A&M's got a very good defense. They had a week off to prepare, and uh, they got after Bo Nix, and, and they got after the run game, and – but, but like you said, Derek Mason's defense has done something pretty good the last six quarters, not allowing a touchdown. You go back and you look at the ball games and you try to find a common theme in kind of the losses for Auburn, at least two of them, things that jump out. Running game against Georgia, running game against A&M, only two games where Auburn didn't rush for over 100 yards. What was the key in those ball games? Was it a defensive scheme? Was it just kind of an off day? What, what did you see from Auburn running the football in those games? Yeah, I think that that can that's, that contributes to it. Obviously, I think Bo Nix is at his best when he's involved in the running game, and also they have success with play action with Digsby, Jarquez Hunter's been a really good bright spot uh, as a freshman running back. But and, and being able to get separation with the with the wideouts, you know, they missed uh, two opportunities. Javaris Johnson got behind A and M last weekend, and Bo just overthrew him by a couple of yards. That would have been a, a touchdown, and and so you never know what that one or two plays. Uh, can can do to change the momentum of a game. But like you said, Auburn played Georgia, besides probably that first game of the year against Clemson, Auburn played Georgia about as good as anyone because Georgia's just rolling through everybody. And and they you know were able to run the ball that first drive, and then Georgia adjusted and just kind of stymied Auburn like they have everybody else. But I think the common theme is probably lack of uh, being able to have a lot of success on the ground. Uh, and also just getting separation with your receiving core outside. Um, that's one thing that they've been trying and still attempting to do is just getting that separation. Uh, and, and A&M did a good job of basically keeping everyone in front and not allowing that big play from Auburn. Stan, 
when you look at the quarterback position, of course, you played at Auburn and, of course, knew Bo Nix's dad real well. And, and you see how Bo has kind of come through this offense. How is he with this offense compared to the offense before it? And where do you see him growing as a quarterback? Well, I think his maturity level, you know, last weekend notwithstanding, he, he, he admitted first and foremost that, that, you know, an experienced quarterback like him doesn't make those kind of plays where he fumbled that ball and the scoop and score. And people forget it was that was nine to three in the fourth quarter uh, when that when that happened. And so it was a six point game. And, and so um, but that, you know, that it happened. Uh, you can't bring it back. Uh, but so not last weekend, notwithstanding, I think his his uh, he's grown with being more comfortable with what his role is. Sometimes I think Bo would, would take it upon himself to try to win every play. And if the play um, was not there, he still wanted to win the play. And you have to admire that as a competitor, but then as a being a smart uh, tactician in, in that position at quarterback, you have to sometimes say, look, they got us this play. I'm going to just throw it away and come back on second down or third down and try to do it. So I think he's done better at mentally deciphering that. When can I take a shot? When can I take a chance and try to extend the play? Or when can I just throw it away and uh, and, and let them know that it got me? And then, and then when can I take advantage of, of a defensive alignment? So I think he's gotten much better with that. Uh, and, and you can see his pocket presence is better. Um, you know, and obviously it has a lot to do with offensive line when they're, when they're, when they're communicating and doing well, then, then the quarterbacks and receivers look a lot better. When when there's a breakdown, then all of a sudden the quarterback is is going to get a little bit shifty with his feet. So um, I think overall, though, uh, I think he's just gotten more comfortable with what Brian Harson and Mike Bobo want to do with this offense. And uh, when he is sitting in that pocket reading the defenses, then then he's at his best. I look back at last year's game, and I remember Auburn just having such a dominant performance running the football. It felt like they ran it at will. Uh, with Bigsby throughout that ball game, Bart will always ask me right before we kick it to the network for the broadcast of the of the game itself, what's the key to the game? And I think what I'm going to have to say is figure out a way to stop the run. If you're looking at this for Mississippi State, what do you see the key to the game being? Well, I think that's correct. I mean, you you, you said it a moment ago. You know, the telltale on Auburn's losses was inability to effectively rush the ball and 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 also your know, turnovers uh i don't know about george i can't remember what the turnover margin was but i know a and m was a loss on the turnovers so i think you're correct uh you know when you've got to come in and it's just much easier um to execute a running play when you are able to have success doing it uh there's too many things that can happen in a passing play you could execute it perfectly and it'd be a drop or he could run a wrong, wrong route or slip down or or something happened so i think the key uh, for a state win would be to come in there and, and just basically make it very difficult for Tank Bigsby or Jarquez Hunter to get going on the ground. Uh, and I think they know that. I mean, I think Mike Mubo knows that, that they're going to probably try to come in and make Auburn one-dimensional, and, and that's where the challenge will have to be on that line. You still have to run the ball. Even if you play a run defense, a heavy run defense, you still have to be able to run the ball. Um, but then the challenge is, is being able to create separation, beat some, win some one-on-ones, and, uh, and also get your quarterback involved with the run game. If they're going to pursue at a heavy angle to try to take a tailback away, then you've got to have a quarterback that can scramble and, and maybe just have an RPO game, and that's what Bo Nix is really good at. 
Stan, we appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you guys on Saturday. Hey, one of the great things about what we do as far as traveling the country and traveling the SEC, and you've got a good one too. we got a good one in Neil Price. You've got a good one in Andy Burcham. And the thing that those guys can do is they can always pick out the best places to eat when you go on the road. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I've been doing this since my 20, 21st year to do radio, and I did two years with Andy actually on Old College Sports Southeast. So, we are, we have our favorites in every college town, and that's uh I don't know. I may do it another twenty years, may do it another twenty months. I don't know, but but I, that's one thing I always enjoy about about this is the camaraderie you have on a Friday night before a game in whatever college town we're in. No doubt. Hey, look forward to seeing you guys on Saturday. Appreciate you, Stan. My pleasure, guys. Be safe. Take care. And that's Stan White, color analyst for the Auburn Tigers. Charlie hit it right on the head, man. I'll tell you what, you've got a game right now where you've got two quarterbacks, and even though Bo Nix was not great last week on the road at Texas A&M, he's a guy that's beginning to understand this offense a little bit better. Will Rogers, he had great things to say about Will, about he, he's, his maturation in our offense. I just look at it, man, 11 o'clock game, I think anything can happen in this one on Saturday. I think you're exactly right. But the thing, and of course I asked a couple of questions about it, I just have nightmares of Bigsby. You know, he went for almost 200 yards against us last year. Yep. And I feel like if you can't stop the run in this league, it's going to be a tough day to win. No doubt. And that, as we said, that conversation with Stan White brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Charlie and I will come back with a final word right here on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Startwell. Hey, Charlie, Startwell was crunk last Friday night. Let me tell you, Bulldog Bash here in town, it was amazing. And you never would have known it last Saturday during the day. They got in here and cleaned it up in a hurry. Startwell, Mississippi's college town. It's just amazing how many different events each and every year they're just keep on adding bulldog bash is one of my favorite events all year and what's amazing about it they set up right outside my office downtown startville i came into work on saturday around 6 30 and you would not have known that there was a major event downtown did you have a vip party since you're like right here where the stage was you know i did not you um, didn't I was wondering uh, if I didn't get the invite for a reason. No, shocking to know. I've been a little bit under the weather. You wouldn't hear that just listening, of course. But, uh, yeah, so I was recuperating. You wouldn't believe the number of text messages that I got after the postgame show and then on Sunday as well and saying, hey, is Charlie okay? Just checking on you. we got a lot of folks out there, I guess, that care about you. I would like to to think heroic. Heroic? Yeah. I, I don't know if that would be Playing hurt. Okay, we just talk on the radio. You That's know, all a, we do. A lot of guys would back away from this, but I'm I'm just charging headfirst into adversity. Hey, we heard uh, Stan White talk a moment ago, talk about Mississippi State and Auburn, and we really didn't get into a whole lot of detail, and we will on our Friday show with our Friday Deep Dig, and then we'll be back in the studios on Sunday for our Sunday coffee. But, hey, this is a game where – Mississippi State, we, we felt like last week was an opportunity. But one of the things that you know I asked Dan just a moment ago, I mean, you look at that score last week of Auburn and Texas A&M, and you see 20-3, to and you're like, man, A&M really had their way. But that was a 3-3 to game late. It was a tight game. Auburn did not play as bad 
as that score indicated. It's always a tough place to play, but, man, if you're going to go over there, I want to go over there at 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, as you well know, I'm not a fan of morning football unless except, except, we're on the road. Yes. Charlie, enjoyed it as always. Good conversations with Ben Jenkins and Stan White. Stan's a longtime friend, and look forward to seeing those guys this weekend. Mississippi State and Auburn, 11 o'clock on Saturday morning for the Plains of Auburn. Charlie and I will be on the radio for the pregame show starting at 9 o'clock. And once again, thanks to our great sponsors, of course, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Tracks Plus, four locations, great forestry and dirt moving equipment with Barco and Saney. Country-pleasing sausage, the best there possibly is. Start with Mississippi's College Town and beef. It's what's for dinner, the Mississippi Beef Council, the Mississippi Cattle Farmers, and their checkoff. So appreciate you guys hanging out with us here in the midweek. We'll be back on Friday, as we said, for our Friday deep dig to get you ready for Mississippi State and the Auburn Tigers. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.